Let me lead up front with the next few weeks, the next three weeks actually, counting today, are going to be a mini-series within the series. In this chapter 10, we're going to trace this theme of Jesus as a shepherd, the way Jesus does. We're going to emphasize the thing Jesus emphasizes, and we're going to pull out uh, the way someone in the ancient Near East would have understood the shepherd-sheep relationship. We're going to do it this week with the saving shepherd, next week with the sacrificial shepherd, and the week after that with the securing shepherd. And But this morning, we're going to kind of give a little bit of an intro to sheep and shepherds, and today your lesson is brought to you by the letter S. Um, so for kids out there, any of you kids who have the dream and desire to be a shepherd when you grow up, this is going to be your, your first tutorial. And parents get these weird faces because no parent in here has that on their list of careers for their child. Like, uh, no one envisions their child being a shepherd. And we're in Central Florida. I don't think that's really a big temptation. But for many cultures around the world still today, probably most cultures, that is a, a viable career. Shepherds are needed. And shepherds are needed because sheep are followers. Sheep need shepherds because Sheep will do silly things like wander off. You can put them in green grass and they will wander off to, to dirt and stubble. And so sheep need to be corralled. They need to be uh, corrected. They need a lot of care. They need protection, direction. And God has designed them to follow. Believe it or not, much like us. There are many of us who are natural leaders. But even among leaders, we still look to others to follow. We are designed to follow. Many people just, I, I want nothing more in life than to follow someone else. I don't want to have to make decisions. I don't want to have to look up. I just want to look at the back of the person in front of me and just go through life. And much like sheep, we are like them in that we want a shepherd. Whether we admit it or not, we want the correction. We want the direction. We want good food to eat. We want a place to lay down and rest. Many of us fight against the need for a shepherd. And so this morning, you're going to see a lot of the nature of leading and following. What are marks of a good shepherd? What are marks of a good leader? And all of the parallels to those who lead and follow spiritually. Because that's really what's underneath this whole thing, is the spiritual reality of Christ as our shepherd. Because everyone will follow something. Everyone will follow someone. If you are in Christ, you are only following one. And even as we lead, we lead as followers of Christ. He's going to get into this more next week. There's only one shepherd. And everyone else who's following something else is following a thief and a liar and a robber. And we're going to get into that this morning. The other thing we're going to see is there's a specified flock here. Jesus does not speak of everyone. He speaks of his own. Those that he knows by name. Those that, that know him. From all the other sheep. He has his that he calls by name. And we're going to get into this intimacy between the sheep and the shepherd and the knowledge between one another. And this entire passage is going to act like an allegory. An allegory is basically an extended metaphor where, where you take a familiar analogy, familiar set of circumstances, and you draw implicit truths along with it. So it, it's, a, it's a teaching tool. So there will be symbolism within a lot of these references that he makes. And so with anything like this, uh, we have to apply it where scripture applies it and be careful. Be careful not to take it too far, not to assume that everything has an exact parallel. But most of it will. So we're going to look at a lot of words, a lot of phrases, and we're going to spend a lot of time in the ancient Near Eastern culture. Because this is a metaphor that is used throughout scripture. The one of God being a shepherd and one of us being sheep. And I'm going to hammer it into your head the next couple weeks because we need to understand our nature in this. Because our human tendency is that I want to be in control. I want to be the leader. I want to be the end all be all. I want to be autonomous. But ultimately, we were created to follow. We will either follow the shepherd or we will follow a bunch of strangers and liars and thieves who want to steal us away from the shepherd. This is a major theme throughout the Old Testament. I want to look at a couple quick passages. Uh, Isaiah chapter 40. Starting in verse 10, I'm just going to read two verses. There are many, many, and I'm going to draw these out over the next couple of weeks. But I just want to give you an idea of what Israel would have understood when they heard this shepherd imagery. So Isaiah 40, 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord comes with might 
and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. This is mighty kingship language. But in the same breath, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. At the same time, he is a powerful, mighty king and a gentle, caring shepherd. I'll turn to Psalm 79. I don't know if this is intentional, but Psalm 79 leads really well into the beginning of Psalm 80. We read this earlier from Psalm 95, us being his sheep and the people of his pasture. The Buddha says here, Psalm 79, starting in verse 13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. Then when they cry out to the Lord, who do they cry out to? Uh, Chapter 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Again, kingly language with shepherd language. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come and save us. Throughout scripture, the Lord is seen as a king, a shepherd, and a savior. We're going to see those things over the next few weeks. Uh, One passage we're going to spend a lot of time in is Ezekiel 34. I encourage you, these next few weeks, spend time in Ezekiel chapter 34. We read it before service. We're going to read some this week. We're going to read some next week. It gives this great imagery of the people of Israel who have bad shepherds and they're being starved and they're being trampled on. And because the shepherds of Israel cannot be trusted, only God can be the shepherd of his people. We're going to look at a lot of those aspects this morning. The other thing I'm going to spend some time on, which I thought was really helpful, is a really good read. Philip Keller's book called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he's got an interesting story. He grew up a missionary kid uh, in, in East Africa. And he watched herdsmen his entire life. So he's, he's seen ancient Near Eastern shepherding. And as he grows up, he becomes a shepherd himself. So for eight years, he owns a farm and he shepherds sheep. And he, talks, he tells a lot of great stories that uh, compare with Psalm 23. So he takes every line of the 23rd Psalm and walks through it from a shepherd's perspective. Very fascinating. Um, he also became a scientist and later a pastor. Uh, so jack of all trades, great, great writer. Uh, but there's a lot of imagery here in this passage that he'll help us with that we don't understand in our modern context. So that's kind of where we are. So I'm going to read uh, in chapter 10 of John verses 1 through 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, our maker, the lifter of our head. We, like sheep, are prone to wander in our flesh. You are a shepherd. Not only did you seek us in our sin and draw us to yourself, but every time we stray, every time we we wander, your staff is there to gently guide us back and your rod is there to correct us when we need it. Because you love us. There is no other shepherd. There is no other door. There is no other way except the good shepherd. Lord, I pray this morning that we would feel the depths of your love for us, the depths of our need for you, the depths of what it means to be your sheep. Have you call us by name 
and the way that you love us and care for us and what it truly means to have life abundant in you. I pray that the Spirit would teach and guide and remind us of these words and write them on our hearts. We may not be just hearers of your word, but doers also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we begin like Jesus does very often. Truly, truly, I say to you. The important note here, truly, truly, never introduces a new idea. Truly, truly, always modifies what comes before it. When there is misunderstanding, Jesus will say, truly, truly, amen, amen, repeating himself, pay attention. And so this should direct them to what happens before. And where we, find our, where we found ourselves at the end of last week, where the Pharisees are saying, are we also blind? Chapter 9, verse 41, Jesus says to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. The same breath and the same thought of those who thought that they saw. Those who thought that they were the true shepherds of Israel. Jesus says this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold, but by the door, or excuse me, sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. You don't think Jesus has some thieves and robbers in mind when he's saying this? He absolutely did. There's one door, there's one sheepfold, and anyone who tries to go any other way, that person is a thief and a robber. Now, for us in the 21st century, most of us have, most of us have no idea what a sheepfold is. So I'm going to help you guys out. There's going to be a couple of pictures. Uh, let's pull up the first one. So if a shepherd, this is a modern day shepherd. This is not someone dressing up for this. This is what he does for a living. So if you have your sheep out in the, the, the wilderness or out in the pasture and you're not close to town, you may actually build a sheepfold. You may cut uh, limbs and you will create a, a place to keep your sheep safe. There is always only one door. The sheep, will typically, the sheep fold will typically have walls, but generally not a roof. So this imagery of someone climbing in, is, it, it, it rings true because they would understand this, that if you, if you really care about the sheep, you will go in through the shepherd who cares about the sheep. But if you don't, you will try to climb over. So if you're out in the field, this is what it might look like. The next one, if you're in a town... You have a sheepfold like this. So this is, it's kind of hard to see, but um, there's a great walled structure that would be on the outskirts of town, and this would be used by all the local shepherds. And so this, this sheepfold um, would house all of the sheep at night, and that's going to come into play in a moment. And so you see there's one gate, and the shepherd stands there at guard. If you want to get to the sheep, you must come through the door. You cannot go over the wall. There's a lot of implications for that theologically, and we're going to work through that uh, in a moment. But I want, to, I want you to have some, some visuals, and um, we'll leave that one up on the screen for just a moment. So he says here, um, if you do not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Interesting note, uh, the word thief in Greek is kleptes, coming from the verb, you, you'll appreciate this, klepto, means to steal. We've all heard that. Klepto literally in the Greek means to steal. It means I steal. So a thief is someone who steals. But if someone does not go through the door, they're not just a thief, but they're a robber. There's a distinction between one crime, which is, thie which is thievery, taking something that's, that's not yours, and then there's robbery, which is an escalated crime, which is taking it by force. So not just stealing... But taking it by force, even in our justice system today, there's a difference between someone who steals and someone who robs. A, rob a robbery is done by force. A robbery has an added vengeance and forcefulness to it. So this person is not just a thief. They're not just trying to steal the sheep. But they're trying to rob them and take them by force because they do not care about the sheep and they hate the shepherd. And if you try to reach the sheep any other way than by Christ, you are a thief and a robber. This is exactly the contest which Jesus is speaking into here. And this is exactly what the Pharisees are doing. They were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. They were supposed to be the ones caring for the flock of God. But they were selfish and they were oppressive. 
And they were getting fat off the backs of the sheep and they only cared for themselves. Now, we'll go to Ezekiel chapter 34, where we find the problem, the root of why does the good, why is the good shepherd needed? Why is this analogy, uh, why is this needed? Why has this come up now? Because there's a problem that has lasted for quite a while. Ezekiel chapter 34, I'm going to read 1 through 6. This begins this whole discussion on the sheep and the shepherd. Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus said the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You close yourselves with with wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought with force. And harshness you have ruled them. All of these things he describes here are the job of a shepherd. A shepherd who's doing his job should strengthen the weak, should heal the the, the sick, should take care of the injured. Um, I did a lot of research this week on shepherding cultures, and um, YouTube can be a dangerous place, but it'll also be uh, amazing, too, to see modern-day shepherds who do this. When a sheep turns his ankle, they will literally wrap some of these sheep who are full-grown, tie them on, on on their back, and carry them miles back to safety because they care for the sheep. That's what a shepherd should be doing. Verse 5. So they were scattered because he, there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep. God is speaking of his sheep were scattered. They wandered over the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Anyone who does not come through the door, anyone who who claims to be a shepherd of the sheep, who claims to lead in any way that does not give glory to God, that is not out of concern for the sheep, that does not go through Christ, that person is a thief and a robber. This is why Paul so often tells us that we must guard the gospel, that anyone who preaches another gospel should be accursed. Anyone who comes in anywhere but the gate, anywhere through Christ should be accursed. This is why we are so protective of the gospel here. Because we want to make sure that no one is trying to climb over the wall. No one is trying to lead you astray with a different gospel. To get you to follow another shepherd. When you make the gospel about something other than the word of the shepherd and trusting in him, you are robbing his sheep. And God does not take that lightly. So we do not take that lightly and we revere the word of God and what he has set up for the leaders of his people. Verse two, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. This word shepherd, the root of it, uh, it comes from the word to protect. The whole essence of being a shepherd is a protector. It is used often for Jesus and it is used often for the leaders of his people. It is synonymous with the term elder. Those who lead God's people are to be protectors first and foremost. You are put in charge of someone else's sheep. And our word pastor comes from the Latin version of that. And the word pasture comes from the same root. A place of protection. A place of of, of feeding. This language would have been so familiar to that culture. It's foreign to us. But if you had spent a time as a shepherd or spent time with shepherds, you realize how important it is to have a good shepherd. Because Philip Keller talks a lot about sheep that are not led well, that are not fed well. They are miserable sheep and they can't do anything about it. They can just cry out to be fed, cry out for the the, the bugs to be pulled off of them, cry out for their wounds to be healed. But they can't save themselves. They can't fix themselves. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The shepherd is the rightful guide and the protector. So he's talking about the principle in general, yet he still has not declared that he is the shepherd. But he's letting them know this is is what a shepherd should be. 
And that shepherd, to him, verse 3, the gatekeeper opens. So that sheepfold, if you can put up the uh, stone picture again. So what would happen uh, with a stone sheepfold is it is at night, if you had grazing area near a city, near a village, multiple uh, shepherds would house their, their sheep in the sheepfold. And there was a, a night watchman, a gatekeeper, who would stand guard. His job was to stay up all night and to guard these sheep. When the morning came and the shepherds came back, he would only allow in the shepherd of the sheep. So this is interesting language here that to him, the true shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. I mean, this would, this would have been obvious. But for those who are entrusted with protecting God's sheep, only the true shepherd they will allow in. And here's where it gets good. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I can spend a whole sermon just on this verse. And so I want to draw attention to these themes here. I want to look at some of these words uh, and we'll try to move through it quickly because this is going to be a theme over the next few week, weeks of sheep hearing the voice of the shepherd. Uh, this is still true. Um, that there is a particular call by the voice of the shepherd. And sheep hear it. They won't listen to another. I'll give you a good example of this in, in a little bit. But they, they hear the voice of that shepherd. It's like a language that only is spoken between sheep and shepherd. Sheep and master know each other. There's a connection there that cannot be broken, that cannot be impeded on by someone else. Once there's a bond between sheep and shepherd, they will not accept another shepherd. And there's a particular connection here. Look at this. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep. This is not a shepherd who does not know his sheep. This is not a shepherd who's searching for, for sheep who might respond the way he wants them to. This is a shepherd who owns his sheep. Typically, a shepherd would, who's, uh, who's in that field for a, a while would raise them from, from, the, from young whatever they were, the ewes, uh, from a, a very young age, and they would grow up hearing his voice. And he knew each one of them, and he knew them by name. There is possessive language here. These are my sheep. He calls out his own sheep. When there are multiple herds uh, that are sleeping in these sheepfolds, he doesn't call everybody's sheep, he calls his. And it's amazing to watch this when you watch several shepherds who are, who are feeding in the same place, and one shepherd calls his, and one calls his, and each come Easily, They know the voice of their shepherd. He calls them by name and he leads them out. The amazing parallels where we came from last week with the blind man. The blind man was cast out by the Pharisees, but now he's led out by the good shepherd. The Pharisees cast him out of their, their presence, but he is led out by a good shepherd. Okay, so what does it mean to lead out sheep? Let's talk about the nature of sheep a little bit here. It's not leading them in kind of this weak, suggestive way. There has to be a strong, confident presence to a shepherd. Because many sheep, sheep will follow, but there's the, Philip Keller talks about there's personalities within the sheep. He knows that he's got to correct the leader sheep first. How do you lead a whole flock of sheep? You, you identify the strong ones. There's actually a, a butting order where they, they, they butt heads. And the strongest one puts the rest in line. And when the shepherd calls, they will all pick their ears up. And until the leader sheep move, the rest do not move. Some parallels to us here. Um, but sheep are the only animals where, where, where that happens, where there's a specific call to them, where they hear the specific call of the shepherd, and they, they are led in that way. Think about the, the difference. Cattle are driven. So when you want to move cattle, you get behind them and you push them. Sheep are led. The shepherd walks in front and the sheep come behind. So many parallels to pastoral ministry. So many parallels to the, the lives of, of believers. He leads. He leads in a way where he stands out in front of them. He leads by example. They follow in his footsteps. He leads by word and by deed. The sheep follow a good shepherd because they trust him. They know that he's going to lead them to good pasture. And this is a great pastoral model. Because ministry is not 
kick the sheep out in front of you and try to drive them like cattle and force them into your will. Ministry is leading like a shepherd, calling them. Sometimes there's a couple stubborn sheep and 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 there's some great examples of those two. There's there there are those who come willingly and then those who kind of need to be nudged a little bit. But once the shepherd starts to move, the sheep move because they, they, they know his voice. And as leaders of God's people, uh, I don't take that lightly. We don't take that, that, that lightly. That people will, will follow. And your example and your words and your deeds must be after that of the cheap shepherd because they're not your sheep. Many pastors get themselves into trouble because they take that, that, that term, my flock, way too much to heart. And, and, and arrogance seeps in there. These are not our sheep. We are sheep together. Among the sheep, there will be leaders. But ultimately, there is only one leader who leads them out. And now he's leading them out of the fold. And here we find ourselves uh, in verse 4. When he has brought out all his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Again, a particular language here. When he brings out all of his own sheep, he didn't take every sheep out of the fold. The ones that were his, the ones he knew by name, he takes them out of the fold. When he is all, when he's taken them all out of the fold, he goes before them. So, yes, this is part of an allegory and literally the shepherd goes before the sheep. But in our shepherd, he goes before us in ways that we never could. How can we follow our shepherd? We can't follow our shepherd unless he went before us in a sinless life because we weren't capable of it. We can't follow our shepherd unless he went before us and died the death we should have. We can't follow our shepherd unless he goes before us and raises from the dead. We cannot have new life. We can't be raised to new life unless our shepherd has been raised first. We can't be glorified to receive new bodies that last into eternity unless our shepherd had been glorified first in all things he goes before us and we can only follow because he has done it first he's the firstborn of the new creation he goes before them and the sheep follow them for they know his voice so he goes before us but our response to that is to follow him and how do we follow we must know his voice so how do we know the voice of the shepherd? I'll give you an easy way to remember three R words. Repetition, recognition, and response. Repetition, recognition, and response. How do we know the voice of the shepherd? Repetition. We must be in his word. You must be in his word repeatedly. It must be a part of who you are. Because once you're in God's word repeatedly, you begin to know the voice of the shepherd. And once you begin to know the voice of the shepherd, you, you recognize it and you hear it and you can spot a fake. And only once you have repeatedly been in God's word and are able to recognize God's word from the other voices that are out there, then can you respond to it. That's how the sheep knew the shepherd. They had heard his voice every day of their lives. They recognize it and they respond to it and they follow him. We are no different. If you are struggling in following the Lord, are you hearing the voice of the shepherd? Are you repeatedly being in God's word? Are you so familiar with God's voice that you will not listen to another? If you can't say yes to that, I can tell you why you're struggling. When he has brought them out, all of his sheep, Everyone, he does not lose one, knows everyone by name. He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. So I have a video. Uh, let me just kind of give you the uh, context. There's a lot of people who've watched this phenomenon. They've, shepherds have done it. People have gone to different farms and tried to call sheep of someone, of someone else's sheep and they cannot do it. This is probably one of the better examples. You'll see three people try and there's one woman, uh, this is in Norway, by the way, and there's one woman who's, she really likes to use God's name and she's not using it appropriately. So just kind of tune that out. But I want to get you the, the visual here. Go ahead.
Yeah, so now they're, he's, he's feeding them and they're following him. So I also saw other examples where a, a shepherd would come up and he would, he'd hand little treats to the sheep and they'd come out and take it out of his hand. And he'd hand the treats to someone else standing right next to him. And they would come and look at it and they would run away. Um, and so this is an amazing phenomenon. And he says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. Keller talks about sheep being very skittish creatures. If a dog shows up that they don't know, they will freak out and they will, they will run away. And they're like, that's not my shepherd. Let me get out of here. Jesus actually says this as a positive thing. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. There's no shame in fleeing from danger or temptation. Remember Joseph who fleed from Potiphar's wife when, when she tried to take advantage of him? Many of us think that we have to be strong all the time. That when danger comes, when temptation comes, I have to stand up to it. I have to, to, to fight it. There's nothing wrong with saying, you are not my shepherd. You are not my daddy. I'm going this way. There's nothing wrong with fleeing from, from danger. Very few of us should be trying to face dangers head on in our own strength. Should be more like these sheep. Like, I'm only listening to my shepherd. I want nothing to do with you. So it brings me to a question. Why do we emphasize God's word so strongly here? Why do we... Everything we do, why is it in God's word? Why do we spend so much time in scripture? Why do we keep going back to it? Why do we keep referencing it? Why do we keep hammering it into our heads? Because we don't want you to follow a stranger. We want you to know the voice of the master. Because when a thief and a robber comes, you're able to spot that false voice and get out of there. And that is the call of everyone who leads the sheep of Christ. Uh, Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is a great book on the pastoral example, on what a leader of God's people should be like. And there is a warning in 2 Timothy 4 that is just as true today. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. That's a pretty high order. There is no higher authority which Paul is charging someone. Paul saying to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That is pastoral language. Sheep need to be reproved, corrected. They need to be um, disciplined, and they need to be encouraged with complete patience and teaching. This is what a shepherd does. For time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who uh, to suit their own passions. These are the liars. These are the thieves. These are the strangers. And they will turn away from listening to the truth. They will turn away from listening to the shepherd. And they will wander off into myths. Again, sheep language. They will wander off. But as for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Your ministry is to shepherd my sheep. Do not let them listen to ear ticklers. Do not let them listen to strangers. Do not let them wander off to false things. Our world is full of voices of strangers, of false idols who are calling to us. Follow me. Do what I say. I will make you happy. I will give you pasture. I will give you rest. I will lead you. Just trust me. So he's talking about this generally here, and they did not understand. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, they did not understand. What he was saying. Uh, this is li- the figure of speech is literally a, a wayside saying. Um, the, the allegory here, the, the, the metaphor here. They didn't understand. So when they don't understand, he doubles down again for emphasis. Verse 7. So Jesus says again to them, truly, truly, I say to you. Truly, truly does not introduce new information. Remember, this is modifying what came before it. Okay, we're talking about shepherd. Now we're talking about the door. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So he's not just the shepherd, but he's the door for that matter. So we can ask ourselves, so which one is it? Is he the shepherd for the sheep or is he the door to the sheep? Well, there's both. There's one thing I left out earlier is in that that sheepfold. The shepherd, whenever he took a nap, whenever he went to sleep, he laid down in the door. There was only one door. One way in and one way out. And to make sure his sheep were protected, even if he closed his eyes, it would be in the door. 
He not only was the leader of the sheep, he was the protector and he was the gate for the sheep. Now is when Jesus declares definitively, I am the door. If you didn't get it before, there's only one entrance. There's only one Christ. There's only one way. There's only one entrance to the sheepfold. Only one Lord and one faith and one baptism. The early credo of the church. There is no other door. There is no other way. And you can't climb over. You can't bring a different gospel. You can't preach something differently. You can't try to reach people apart from Christ. If you try to lead people into another door, you are a liar and a thief and a robber. This is, this is strong language. I am the door. Remember one of these great I am statements. I am the door of the sheep. I am their shepherd and I am their door. There is no sheep apart from me. So there, there's no other means to become a sheep of God. And there's no other access either. No other sheep apart from me. No other access apart from me. And anyone who came before me, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. Those claiming to be shepherds. He's speaking probably still to the Pharisees. But there are also many false Christs who are around them. Um, Matthew chapter 7. Turn three books to your left. Hopefully you can get there quickly. I want to read. verse. It, we, we know these verses really well. Um, and many times we stop in our section headings, which I tell you not to do all the time. The section headings are helpful, but look at this. Matthew chapter uh, 7, starting in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. Now give us some, some kind of context here. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. That narrow gate, hint, it's Christ. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It's a very, again, particular nature here. But if you, if you don't stop there and you read on, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep clothing and inwardly are ravenous wolves. Jesus brings all of this together. The, the, the narrow way, the uh, thieves, the liars who, who look like sheep, who want to masquerade around as, as being one of the flock, they're ravenous wolves in sheep's clothing. All of these metaphors they're not disconnected symbols. These, are, these all modify and agree with one another. But the robbers, the sheep, did not listen to them. Um, true sheep will never listen to another shepherd. And I want us to be diligent sheep who know the voice of the shepherd, who know when a stranger comes, who knows a wolf in sheep's clothing. That's why we will be rooted in God's word because we must know his voice. We must be careful. We must be sober-minded. We must be found as knowing the voice of our Savior. We must be able to hear his call and we must be able to spot a stranger and run the other way. And as the fold, as the flock of God, we are to protect one another. That's why it is important what type of teaching we allow in the church. That's why it's important why we do not let division grow within the church. Because those things can be ravenous wolves within the body. And we need to be aware of that for the sake of one another and for the safety of the flock. Part of the reasons we emphasize membership so much here. Because as members of one another, we are to... We are to keep watch for one another, to protect one another, to teach one another, and to call out the voices of strangers within our midst. He says again in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Anyone, now he, he makes it more clear. I am the door. Anyone who enters by me, there is no other entrance. There is no other door. Only by me can you be saved. Only by me is there life. Only by me. Those who enter by me will be saved. He's talking about salvation here. Safety and security forever. We're going to get to that in, in two weeks. So how do you enter? We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world. 
his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. What is entrance into that gate? Belief in Christ. You put your faith and trust in the door and the shepherd, knowing that if you enter that door and you join the fold, that shepherd will provide for you. That shepherd will protect you. He will feed you. He will bring you to green pastures. And no one can snatch you out of his hand. We're going to see this in two weeks. And he, he, there's an interesting little detail that we can skip out of here. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. This is something that sheep take for granted, and, and, and so do we. As you go in and out, your entire life is that of a sheep. You, the, whatever you do, as you go and as you come, you are the shepherds. There is actual true freedom in Christ. You can go and come and no one will snatch you out of his hand. He knows where the wolves are. He, know, he knows who the wolves are. Excuse me, who the wolves are. And as you go and as you come, he knows your every step. He knows your every breath. I love this in uh, Psalm 121. Psalm 121, I'm going to read this quickly so you can get there. Get there, otherwise write it down. It's Psalm uh, 121, 7 and 8. You want to know the voice of the shepherd? We're going to flip back and forth in Scripture quite a bit. Psalm 121, 7 and 8 says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. Listen to this. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep you, will keep your going out and your coming in. For this time forth and forevermore. Jesus is not introducing something new that was not promised to God's people. He's fulfilling the promises to God's people. I am your shepherd. You're coming in and going out. I will be with you. I will keep you from evil forever. That is our shepherd. Enter by him and you will enter. You you will come and go. And you will find pasture. Ezekiel 34. It's a good chapter. Hopefully you had your finger there. Ezekiel 34, um, verses 14 through 16. I'm going to read this quickly. If you can't get there, write it down. Again, spend some time in Ezekiel 34. You will come in and go out and find pasture. Starting in verse 14. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture shall they feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. This is our God speaking as our shepherd. Enter by me. You can come and go as you please and I will feed you and I will protect you. Whatever you do, I am there for you. No one can snatch you out of my hand forever. Green pastures, something that we think is such a simple thing. Oh, just find better grass over there. Uh, I want to quote from uh, Philip Keller here because I think this is really good. So he says, uh, in Palestine, where David wrote Psalm 23 and kept his father's flock, especially near Bethlehem, is a dry, brown, sunburned wasteland. He leads me to green pastures. Where are the green pastures, David? Green pastures did not just happen by chance, Keller was on to say. Green pastures were the product of tremendous labor, time and skill in, in land use. Green pastures were the result of clearing rough, rocky land, of tearing out brush and roots and stumps, of deep plowing and careful soil preparation, of seeding and planting special grains and, and legumes, uh, of irritating with, or irrigating with water and husbanding the care of crops for forage that would feed the flocks. Green pastures are essential to the success of the sheep. When lambs are maturing and the ewes need green, succulent feed for the heavy flow of milk, there is no substitute for good pasturage. You cannot raise up the next generation. You cannot have healthy sheep without good pastures. And I love how he closes this here. And he goes on to tie all this to Christ. But he says, no sight so satisfies the sheep owner as to see his flock well and quietly fed to repletion over and over again on rich green forage 
able to lie down to rest, to ruminate and gain. It's a picture of the, the, the care that goes into green pasturing of sheep and the delight in the shepherd in bringing his sheep to pasture and seeing his sheep lay down and be happy. That's in contrast to the thief who only comes to steal and kill and destroy. There is no pasture in a stranger. There is no pasture apart from Christ. Only. There is no rest. There is no truth. There is no safety with a stranger. They only come to kill or to, to steal and kill and destroy. These are progressive words. If you're willing to steal and you don't care about a person's property, you don't care about the person. It is an easy step to go from killing, or excuse me, from stealing to killing to destroying. That's all that can be found with thieves. But you contrast it with the shepherd. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He came here to, to give us life, and not just any life, but abundant life. Jesus says in, in John 17, 3, eternal life is knowing the Father and knowing Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is, is knowledge of the Son and the Father. And by knowing them, then you can live an abundant life. Because I want to spend just a moment on this. We're going to close with this. But this is a term that is used to, um, get, to, to lead people astray. This term abundant life has been used to support shallow materialism. The abundant life is one of contentment and peace and extravagance in Christ, not self-indulgence in yourself. Wicked people claim that the abundant life is only about pleasing ourselves and gaining worldly access. The abundant life only means physical things that happen here because they don't know and have never experienced what it means like to rest in the shepherd, to know that you, to know him and know that you are his. So what is the abundant life? Um, many of you asked me, are you going to get to Psalm 23? Yes, we're going to get to Psalm 23. Turn to Psalm 23. What is the abundant life? Because I will argue that Psalm 23 is the abundant life in Christ. Just I want to read through this. A couple of comments and we'll close with this. What does it mean to have life and have it abundantly? Number one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Abundant life is one of contentment. Abundant life is one that you do not need for anything. You may want for a lot, but you don't need for anything. Because the Lord is your shepherd. Your shepherd supplies everything you need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Keller goes into a lot of great detail about how sheep do not want to lie down until everything is perfect. Unless you have taken all the ticks of the, off of them, uh, unless you made sure that there are no enemies, unless you have done all of these things, they will not lie down. He makes me lie down. He provides for my needs and he gives me comfort. He puts me at such a place of ease that I can lie down. Me, a little frail sheep, can lie down. He makes me lie down in green pastures that he has cultivated and made perfectly for us so that we can eat and feed and grow and be fruitful because he cares for us. He knows exactly what we need. He knows exactly what nourishment we need to grow. He leads me beside still waters. This picture of peace, of calm. There is no peace. There is no calm apart from the Lord as your shepherd. An abundant life is one of peace. Anyone in our busy 21st century world struggling for peace, struggling for calm, struggling for quiet, in the Lord as our shepherd, even the worst day seems like a calm stream. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Why do we want to grow in, in God's word just so I can pat myself on the back? No. He wants us to be holy because he is holy. And he does it for his sake. He leads us in paths of righteousness. What is the abundant life? To be righteous in Christ. Not to have a full wallet and a full belly but to be full in your soul. Because he restores my soul. Skip that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even in the shadow, in the valley of the shadow of death, with our Savior, it feels like it is green pastures. He 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Whoever's phone that is, shut it off, please. You don't have to see who's calling. Just, just, just cancel it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is crazy. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I, I, I saw another video of a little shepherd boy in Jerusalem who carries a rod and a staff. 2017. And the, 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 the staff has the little hook on the end. And this is to direct and to guide. And the rod, is, that's when they get out of line. When you need to, to smack a sheep, they, they discipline Our shepherd disciplines us because he loves us. And you know what David says here? The rod, the correction and direction of our Lord is a comfort. You know what the abundant life is? When you find comfort in the discipline of the Lord. When you find comfort in being directed by God and not the voice of a stranger. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even in the midst of trial and difficulty in those who hate you. You feel like you are feasting because you have an abundance of the Lord's blessing and favor on you. The abundant life is just not when everything's going right, but even in the presence of your enemies, even in the valley of death, you anoint my head with oil. This is language of of healing, of blessing, of covering. He lavishes a table before us. He anoints our head and our cup overflows. Will our wallets overflow? Maybe once or twice in our lives. But that's not the point. The point here is a rich cup of blessing. The cup that is at the table of the Lord. The cup that we're going to take in just a few moments. We are overflowed with the blood of Christ shed for us. And we come before the table set before us in the presence of our enemies, even though the whole world hates us. The body of Christ and the blood of Christ says he loves us. Our shepherd went before us, laid down his life so that we could be his, so that we could find green pastures. And we can say with confidence that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The Lord will be with me in my comings and goings forever. My shepherd will never leave and never forsake me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the promise to everyone who puts their trust in Christ. He's going ahead of us. He's preparing a room for us forever. This is the abundant life. To live every day of your life knowing these things to be true. Knowing no matter what the world says to you, no matter what any stranger says to you, that this is my shepherd. This is who has promised this to me. This is what my life is like in him. The rest of the world be damned. This is who our shepherd is. This is what he promised us. This is how much he loves us. Come to him. Find rest. Believe in him. Flee from strangers. You will be saved. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. Give us mercy and blessing beyond measure. We love you and we praise you. And we follow you, our shepherd. Rest in the land that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.